Um, I did enjoy that they were trying to get him eligible this season, and apparently the Boston College players started a, a hashtag uh, free jerk. I'll just, <laughs> I did not. I did not know that. I'm just gonna. Yeah, I didn't until yesterday either, and I'm just gonna let that one. I'm just gonna let that one sit there. You know. Uh, I thought that one wasn't taken already. Uh, right. Seriously, I, I don't know that I want to click on that hashtag and see where it goes. <laughs> oh. Welcome to an ACC podcast. Week two, pandemic season. I'm surprised that hasn't caught on as a hashtag yet. I'm not surprised. That's terrible. Um, <laughs> I'm Lauren Brownlow. Uh, and this week, as I am wont to do, I tend to go through the slate of games and say, okay, who is participating in the most intriguing game to me? And last week I had on Cam Underwood from State of the U. I could have had him on again this week, certainly, because we love Cam on this on this podcast. But I figured let's change it up. And since Miami and Louisville are playing each other, I was going to have on friend of the podcast, Mark Ennis from 93.9 in Louisville. Mark, hello. It's uh, good to be back. It's, so it's week two. But it's actually about the fourth week anyone's been playing, and we're still four weeks from other teams starting playing. <laughs> this is 2020. Oh, boy. Yeah. Big 10. They're back. Pac-12 is in a panic scramble mode trying to get back. Fun times for what everybody. Is, everything. What, what, a year, what a year. You've got, I mean, we have, <laughs> we have one fewer game to talk about now because one player tested positive. Uh, it's just a, you know, I had Bruce Feldman on the radio show yesterday and he said, I asked him about Louisville, Miami, which I know we'll get to, uh, but I was like, you know, it seems like the winner of this gets to, to kind of dream big about the ACC. And he was like, you know, I really don't think we can even do this. And, yeah. and he wasn't like scolding me. He was just saying like, this is the most week to week year we're ever, ever, ever going to have. And it's just, we're not going to get to do big picture long-term down the road discussions we're just going to have to literally just watch every week and see how it goes yeah i think that there's truth to that and i've been saying too like you you hear sometimes and thankfully most people aren't doing this but you're like who which coach is on the hot seat i'm like literally none of them i'm sorry nobody 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 has any money (laughs) right a no one has any money and b like okay, what are you going to do in a season affected by a pandemic? There's no way that, you know, any coach that gets fired, it's very doubtful to me that they didn't get impacted in some way um, by this virus because everybody has been. So, And and like, this is the the thing I keep thinking about now is just how, and it's relevant to to your audience, how out of place it seems that Wake fired Danny Manning in the middle of all of this, it's like, it's literally the only firing. They did it at the weirdest time of the year. They got to pay him a ton of money and now no one has any money. It's bizarre. Yeah. And I remember at the time I was actually saying like, they, they can't fire him because of that. And I think, you know, if, but they, they, yeah, that was a tough one because they were sort of in like a position where they knew they were going to have to do it eventually. Yeah, <laughs> and I'm sure that they were like, "All right, if we don't do this now, we're not going to be able to do it because we're going to lose even more money, and then we're going to be starting over yet again." And so I kind of get it, but at the time I was like, "How did they get this money? This is unreal." But you know what? Uh, it hadn't hit the hotels quite as hard just yet, and uh, one of their bigger boosters ponied up the cash, and they were able to do that. But yeah, I said the same thing. I was like, "They can't do this because of the pandemic," but. 
they found a way. But if they'd waited much longer, it would have been a terrible look. I will say that. <laughs> um, yeah. Oh. So yeah, no one, no one will be fired. Somebody's going to get fired because college athletics is soulless. Um, but they shouldn't be. Like that. That is probably going to happen. Somebody's going to do it. Somebody's going to fire their coach. But the, I think the nice thing about this is we, we, the, like the flip side of this, I think we're going to be free of an off season of really bad rumors. You know, like coaches using jobs for raises like that won't be happening either. And that'll be nice. Yeah. Because that would be, that would probably be an even like worse look somehow than, than coaches fire, than schools firing coaches. Honestly. I mean, yeah, I'm going to use this for leverage. Are you kidding me? Our athletic department has no money. Like, uh, but yeah, it'll be, they'll find a way. I feel like they'll find a way to be trash because they always do. Uh, that's college athletics for you. But, oh, uh, ACC football week two, sort of, like you said, it's like week one, zero point. It's like week zero, but not really. I don't know. It's a weird timing, like you said, because like you said, football's been being played for like four weeks now. <laughs> um, well, it's like when talk- they used to try to say they, they, yeah. they used to say that that uh, the, the play in games was actually round one in the NCAA tournament. Remember that? Like that one year they tried that. It's like that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's I, I did not care for that either. Um, well, this game's a doozy. Syracuse Pitt. Oh boy, that'll kick us off. Oh, Syracuse, so honey. Oof. North Carolina in that game in the second quarter was literally like, hey, please stay in this game with us and maybe even take the lead for a brief time. And Syracuse was like, that's very hard for us and we cannot manage to do that. It's not great. Not. Yeah, I can't help. I can't help uh, with 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 Syracuse. I can't help but like I want them to be good. I have memories of Syracuse as like a perennially very good program. I don't know that I'll ever get that again. But like I, I can't help but feel like now that Dino Babers maybe missed the window to cash in there. You know, yeah. there was a, a, a short period of time. There was a short period of time where he was. If it had not worked out with Jeff Brown, which it ultimately did not for Louisville, that he was a guy rumored. You know that Vince Tyree, the athletic director, really liked, uh, and now it just seems like that that entire thing has sort of fallen apart, uh, and all of the momentum is gone. And, and not maybe making a, a bigger splash a year ago, coming off the good year when they were maybe supposed to be like the second best team in the Atlantic uh, in 2018, and sort of fall apart there. Uh, it, it just really feels like all of the momentum is gone there. Yeah, and it, I really thought, I mean, look, I do think North Carolina's defense is improved and is going to be good this year. So this isn't a slight necessarily to Syracuse, but I thought that their offense would have taken somewhat of a step forward this year and not be the tire fire it was last year. And spoiler, it is. Um <laughs> It's quite bad. Their defense actually was better than I expected it to be. I think the defensive coordinator change was a good thing for them, and they did some nice things. They really confused North Carolina a lot with with the way they were blitzing and bringing pressure, and and they they did not let Sam Howell have a lot of deep stuff. I mean, and they frustrated the offense in that way. So they did a good job. I was I was impressed with that. I was pleasantly surprised with what they did there. But North Carolina was just able to kind of wear them down and be patient. Um, 
so yeah, we're living in a weird world where Syracuse's defense is better than its offense, and that's not a good thing for Dino Babers, who is known for that offense. It's bad. No, that's that's exactly right. That's not the plan. That's not what they're supposed to be. And I was, I too was pleasantly surprised that their defense did what it did because they are one of many ACC teams who had the coordinator change or head coaching change, didn't get spring. You know, they had a very choppy fall. You know, with with players sitting out and you know, not wanting to play Liberty and all that sort of thing, like being worried about uh, protocols and all that, I thought they had a, a chance to be a complete mess. And I too was pleasantly surprised that they were pretty stout early on. And I agree with you; it did have the feeling of uh, they just wore down. Uh, and conversely, Pitt. I mean, anytime you get somebody to agree to play ten minute quarters, you're you're killing somebody. Uh, and which they did last week, you know, with Austin P. And I realize Austin P. is is, is not much, but geez. I know. And like, I, I, I had the same thought because like, let's be real. We've seen Pitt do stupid things with FCS teams before. And I know this is not even a good FCS team, but I, yes, I was impressed with the way Pitt took care of business. And I've been kind of a doubter um, of how good they can be for variety of reasons, mostly just because it's Pitt and you just don't know what you're going to get from week to week. Most of the time, in some ways, that's the, the most consistent thing about ACC football besides Clemson is the fact that you just pit will will do inexplicable things. Um, <laughs> well, and, but, and I, yeah, I loved uh, Ralph, you know, Ralph Russo's joke uh, from earlier in the week when it was announced that, that, you know, Pitt, they're way ahead of everybody else in research and uh, treatments for the coronavirus. And he was like, Pitt will beat the coronavirus and then lose to the cold uh, the next week. <laughs> and that's like, that's, that's them. I mean, that I really is them. I guess... I had a joke similar to that actually like a couple months ago. It was it was many months ago, so I'm sure Ralph didn't even he saw it. He didn't even remember it. And his joke was very good as well um, when they were saying that they were close to something. And I think I said that they would beat the Corona and lose to athlete's foot. Um, so, yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, this would be a good one for a good way for us to learn uh, is is what we just saw against Austin P. Like, was that Austin P or is it Pitt? Uh, and, and we'll find out because I mean, if Syracuse can hit, a, you know, if Syracuse's defense is what they what it looks like it was against North Carolina, then maybe this will be competitive. But I was pretty impressed with Pitt. I know David Hale's been beating the Pitt drum here uh, in the off season, and that's who Louisville plays next week. So I'll be watching. I'll be paying attention. But uh, they were very impressive. It's not a good matchup for Syracuse. So now I think for uh, it seems perpetually now cannot protect the quarterback, uh, and that's a bad team to play if you can't protect the quarterback. Yes, although as as my Syracuse friends pointed out, at least when Tommy DeVito runs, you don't have that feeling of nausea in the pit of your stomach like you did when Eric Dungy did. So it's like the one good thing when you see him get hit that you don't feel that sense of like, oh God, will he get up? Is he okay? Um, <laughs> like that you did with Dungy. And so there is that. There, That's a positive. Uh, yeah, no, I'll be eager to see it as well. And I think the la- I saw I, I, last week when I had Cam Underwood on, I said that I thought that they were North Carolina was favored by too many points and I didn't understand it. Well, guess who covered North Carolina did. Um, so I guess Vegas does know um, somehow, even in the midst of a pandemic, Vegas knows. And so Pitt being like a 20 something point favorite, I think that tracks. And I, yeah, I would be somewhat surprised if they didn't manage to cover based on what I saw last week because North Carolina gave them plenty of chances to cover and they just couldn't do it. So, ugh. oh, God bless you, Dino Babers. I do love you and your Game of Thrones takes. Um, 
Uh, he's, he, would, he is, uh, he's, I find myself rooting for him uh, because of personality. You know, football coaches' personalities yes. can wear you out. And, and he is not, he does not have one. He laughs extremely loud. He makes very good jokes. Uh, you know, he, he makes fun of his own team in kind of a funny way. Like, I, I like everything about him and I wish you, I want those coaches to be successful because that's the model of coach that I, I much prefer. Yes. Same. And I, I hate that it's, it's looking a little bleak for Dino. Hopefully they can figure something out, but who knows? Oh, 12 o'clock. This is when it, this is the the first time this season, no offense to, uh, to the blue devils that I've been thankful. I'm not covering a game in person when Boston college travels to Durham. For that game that is happening. Oh, I mean, I think maybe at least I'll, I will be able, I joked about this when I previewed the game for WRLSportsFan.com. I guess I will finally, after this game, be able to spell Jeff Halfley's name without looking up BC coach Jeff H.A. on Google. <laughs> I always want to call him half, <laughs> Halfy for some reason, like H-A-L-F-E-Y. Makes no sense. I don't know. Um, I he's just one of those like nondescript coaches for me right now that I have no clue anything about him. I mean, I know he was at Ohio State and everything else like that. I know like logistic like logistically who he is, but I know nothing about what kind of team they're going to have or anything else. Um, Notre Dame transfer quarterback. We'll see. I mean, you're not going to be able to change BC's identity too much in one year. I wouldn't think. Not in this year, especially. They didn't get spring at all. You know, they've only had fall camp. I mean, right now, the only thing I really know about BC is that they're doing a great job with coronavirus. Like, I swear that's all I've really seen this offseason is that their testing numbers are really good every week. And then how sad is that, right? Like, the, that that's the thing that sticks out to me. Uh, he seems to be recruiting kind of well uh, and, and is a, a welcome change, I think, attitude-wise in terms of dealing with the media and maybe with players and obviously Steve Adazio was um, not liked by the end uh, there in Boston. Uh, so it seems like the morale will probably be better, but I don't really know that they have much to work with uh, or that he'll be able to get too terribly far away from the way Adazio liked to play. He left him a roster built to be this sort of power running team. Yeah. I don't really know that he has a choice to be anything other than that. Uh I'm I'm intrigued to see Phil Dracovic though for sure. Um, just because like I, looking up information about him in kind of a cursory way, I'm like, wow, he was their most highly touted quarterback since Jimmy Clausen. And then as a Carolina Panthers fan, I reflexively recoiled at the mention of Jimmy Clausen <laughs> and got angry. But I mean, it, it, it is an interesting. It is an interesting, uh, you know, he's he's an interesting piece for them to have. I know they don't, like you said, they're not built for that kind of a game, but he's a dual threat guy. Um, and, you know, being able to complete a forward pass on a consistent basis is is certainly an upgrade for the Eagles. <laughs> so, you right. know. And conversely, like I, I thought Duke actually acquitted themselves pretty nicely against Notre Dame uh, in that opener. I was kind of impressed, and I was impressed with the way they defended. Now, I know that Notre Dame and Ian Book, not, uh, they were breaking in new receivers, that sort of thing, but I, I thought they hung around. Uh, and this won't be an easy matchup for them. I, 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 this, is, this feels like a coin flip to me. 
Yeah, it does to me too. Speaking of like, I was going to say like, speaking of like bizarro world, Duke's defense for the second straight year is the better and more established unit than its offense. And I, I, I love Matt Guerrero, their defensive coordinator, partially because I did a story on him as when he back when he was a graduate assistant because he did a football one hundred and one with us. Like, God, it was like six years ago now, maybe, and he was like this overly enthusiastic bubbly like just he was all over the place i was like this guy is like on speed or something like he is <laughs> but he was so nice and like so into the game of football and just like explaining everything and breaking it down and was just so it, you could tell he was so in love with it and i was like this guy is really interesting and he just he's really grinded to get to where he is and i like him a lot and so i am excited to see their defense doing well and they have a legit defense like you said and and so yeah that's intriguing but yeah it, i mean duke lost a ton on offense though they lost their ce- they lost their center right before the season started jack wallabaugh that's a big 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 loss um and and they kind of wore down over the course of that notre dame game um chase bryce talked about that you know at the end he said their conditioning still you know isn't where it needs to be and they don't have the kind of depth that they would like but and that's that's what I'm kind of wanting to watch too, because we've seen Duke sort of perform well against teams that they sh- you know that they weren't supposed to hang with or beat, and then the next week they kind of come out flat, especially in a home game. Um, so we'll see. Um, I hope for their sake they don't do that because this is this is a winnable game, and it's one of you know not all that many for them that is. So, but I'll be eager to see Chase Bryce too because you know he. he I was surprised at how good their chemistry seemed in spite of the fact that he didn't join them. I mean, he got on campus in July, you know, um, they, he was sort of finishing up work at Clemson. They did all their work over zoom. And, and even then they couldn't really, David Cuckler has been talking about it. They couldn't really dig into stuff the way they wanted to, um, right away because he was sort of finishing up his work at Clemson and trying to get that all wrapped up. And, and, you know, I, I was impressed at how good their chemistry seemed. Yeah, and I thought he had a pretty live arm. I just thought that they didn't have a ton to work with. Uh, and I totally agree. I totally agree. It was evident. They looked worn. And it's rare, I think, for an offense to look worn out. But they looked yes. worn out by the end of that game. Yeah. And, you know, Notre Dame's defense is certainly better than the one that they'll play this weekend. So hopefully they can, you know, figure out a way to, <laughs> to, to you know, summon some energy and and. I think this is a winnable game for them if they can make that happen. But, you know, it, they just chase Bryce can't make mistakes and they can't they can't give it BC anything easy. And the same goes the other way. Like if, if Jerkovic makes mistakes. Um, no, I said it wrong again. God, I looked it up. Jerkovic. Jerkovic. There we go. Um, I did enjoy that they were trying to get him eligible this season. And apparently the Boston College players started a, a hashtag uh, free jerk. I just <laughs> I did not I did not know that. I'm just gonna yeah, I didn't until yesterday either, and I'm just gonna let that one I'm just gonna let that one sit there. You know. I'm uh, sure that one wasn't taken already, honestly. Uh, right. Seriously. I, I don't know that I want to click on that hashtag and see where it goes. <laughs> oh I so, guess yeah, you I, know, you know, we, we deal with that here yeah. uh, in, in a similar way in that Chris Mack is married to Christy Mack. But there is a very prominent other Christy Mack. And she is oh, an actress. No. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, and it, people routinely tag the wrong Christy Mack in tweets. And that is a very big mistake to make. Oh, dear God. Oh, oh God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. 
That, sorry, that just like I'm not going to go on this sidebar too long because we're going to move on. But I, 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 that reminded me of when um, on the OG here locally at 99.9 The Fan, they played a game with me. I believe it was PGA Tour player, backup ACC quarterback, or uh, adult film star. That was a fun game, and I got way more wrong than I thought I would have. So it probably reflects well on you. <laughs> I guess. Um, South Florida, Notre Dame. I really don't feel the need to do this game because I still don't think Notre Dame's real ACC and I don't really care all that much about South Florida. Um, I think all of those points are fair. I did enjoy Notre Dame, uh, like media, grousing about all of the gaudy ACC logos everywhere last week. And I was like, you people are never going to be satisfied. Uh, the The only interesting thing about this game to me is that USF had a zero yard punt return for a touchdown last week. That's the most interesting thing about this game. Oh, that's amazing. They played wow. good. So the Citadel punted out of the back of their end zone, and the guy bobbled the snap and then kind of had to run and kick it, and it didn't leave the end zone. USF guy caught it in the end zone for a touchdown. Just a negative 10-yard punt, zero-yard return for a touchdown. Nothing makes me happier than negative-yard punts. Um, I, I really do love that. Um, and yeah, uh, the college game day piece they did, uh, I think it was Gene Wojciechowski on how the ACC should be thanking Notre Dame for playing football. That was really embarrassing. I'm just, I mean, that was horrible. Stop guys. Like, let's just stop, stop, stop. We were going to play like the league was going to play. It is a mutually beneficial arrangement, but we don't have to like make it about, you know what though? It's funny. If Notre Dame did actually join the league for good, there would be no more debate as to who has the snobbiest fan base. So there's that. <laughs> oh, that's true. Uh, oh, yes, yeah, we would all be in, uh, in awe. Uh, you're so right about that. Oh God, I, I don't. Even, uh, of the two things, of the two uniqueness, uh, I'll ask you: uh, unique elements of this season, the divisionless play and Notre Dame as a member. Which of the two would you rather? Ooh, probably. Oh, man. Oh, that's tough because like long term for the league, having Notre Dame as a part of it would be a great thing because they're they're still a really good program. Now, they're not the program they think they are, but they're still a really good program. They're still one of the best programs in the country. Um, But like I do enjoy the divisionless play. I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I guess I would choose Notre Dame partially also because, as you know, I've become a big coastal honk. Um, I do enjoy coastal football. Um, you have to have a certain sensibility to truly appreciate the coastal, but I feel like I have that. And yeah, I, I, I would, I would kind of miss it, but I also understand, you know, divisionless ACC gives us more matchups between all of the teams as opposed to waiting like 20 years, but between teams playing and things like that. So I don't know. I, I think probably Notre Dame, but only by a little bit. Um, yeah, they might have to get rid of divisions if they have Notre Dame, though, because then they would be uneven. So, right. Yeah, that's true. I really am in enjoying divisionless play just because half the league doesn't wake up every morning under Clemson. You know, everyone has a chance uh, at it. I mean, you could play all the games that everyone wants to play. You'd only have to keep a couple yeah. permanent games, you know, for everybody. It just would work. But Notre Dame obviously would be just such a big boost uh, for football. For the league, but I cannot help but laugh at you. I'm a coast. I've become a coastal honk uh, now. That's I like do love uh, it. I, I I love fountain pens, right? And nobody else I know does. It's a dorky thing to like, and that 
I feel like being close to home is kind of like. I think that's a perfect analogy, and I completely support <laughs> your love of fountain pens. Although I think the better analogy would be if fountain pens that you loved randomly exploded in your face, and you just didn't know when that would happen. Um, that's coastal football. <laughs> oh. oh, UCF at Georgia Tech, three thirty. ABC. Okay, that must be regional ABC, I guess, or maybe not. Who knows? There aren't that many games. <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I don't like thinking about this game because it makes me think of Georgia Leary and I hate Georgia Ooh, Good call. I was like, what is off-putting about this game to me that I can't put my finger it's, on? And that must be that. it. Yes, it's that. No, look, it, I mean, UCF, you talk about uh, they're not the program they think they are, right? Like that's UCF is, is that. See, I though am like a group of five defender. Um, so I... I, I get it. And you're not wrong, obviously. Like, we understand that. But I also like the I like the way UCF has been a, a disruptor at times. Um, and I liked, you know, I liked that they beat Auburn. And I like I liked that they went undefeated. And I, I thought that they deserved more credit than they got. I wasn't going to put them in the playoff. But I also thought that where they were ranked a lot of that season was absurd. Um, and just sort of more proof that like, no, you literally just have to, you could lose like four games and still like be ranked ahead of UCF that was undefeated or whatever it was. It wasn't four games, but it was too many games to be ranked ahead of a team that was undefeated and had beaten some good teams. Like it was stupid and college football media can be silly sometimes. Um, I'm part of it. So I would include myself, but yeah, I mean, look, so just, go ahead. Uh, they I, they lost me. I totally agree with you about like the group of five uh, sort of uh, fandom and, and especially when someone's worthy and that's probably sort of uh, the old Big East in me uh, appreciating that. But right. they lost me the minute they started criticizing the scheduling of other teams in the AAC when they if they started griping about two Yeah, that's such. true. I was like, that's okay, it's gone to your head. That's enough. Yeah, that's a good point. And I I was going to say I and I just I really did enjoy the fact that they called themselves national champs because it it upset people and I enjoyed that part too. Um <laughs> <laughs> Even though, like, it meant nothing that they did that, but people were still like, "How could you call yourself that?" It's like, what do you care? Like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Y'all won't let them play in the game. They can call themselves whatever they want. Um, I, I uh, that part makes me laugh. Um, uh, uh, Georgia Tech though, um, they won. I didn't th- see that coming. Gotta say. <laughs> No, and this is this is another one like we we're kind of saying about Pitt in a good way. Like this is another one where we're, maybe we're going to find out is this uh, is what they did last week about Georgia Tech or is it about Florida State? Right. Because I'm not sure that Florida State isn't a a, a complete disaster. Like they and, and it's only getting started. If you look at their schedule coming up the next few weeks, like they could be like one in five. And it, it, what a, like I'm, I'll be watching to not to get away from this game, but like what Georgia Tech did, they just seemed to take advantage of a team that didn't look all that dialed in, like at all. Uh, and and I and I don't know that Florida State will be able to dial it in uh, this season. Like I'm not, I'm not sure it's there with the group of players that they have. Another guy transfer out. Uh, Willie Taggart's first recruiting class, ten out of twenty one have already transferred. Yeah, and that, that's, that's like sanctions when that happens. 
Mets. Louisville went through that when Bobby Petrino left. Like I, I, I know exactly how that works. Uh, but nevertheless, like the, the distance Georgia Tech had to travel to catch up to almost everybody by just sort of changing how they play and what they were under Paul Johnson was farther than anybody else had to go. And to already be able to take advantage of a team that's not dialed in uh, is a huge step for them. I was impressed. Yeah, I I was. Yes, I felt the same way. I was both like horrified by FSU and then impressed by Georgia Tech at the same time somehow. Um you know, speaking of the 3.30 game, uh, that that game's at 3.30. North Carolina was supposed to play at 3.30 because I was going to have a very busy Saturday here as a Triangle uh, reporter. Um, we found out yesterday morning that will not happen as Charlotte uh, has too many offensive linemen quarantined under contact tracing protocols. And yeah, we, we were talking before the podcast. I think you read that release the same way I did um, when I was putting it up on our website that it seems as if they had one new positive on Monday. And I guess maybe they already had some guys quarantined um, before that. And then I guess this one additional positive led to too many guys being contact tracing quarantined. That's how I read that. Yeah, that's how I read it too, that basically because of contact tracing with the specific player, uh, too many of one position group to be able to play is now out. Uh, and it is it is uh, odd to watch teams sort of go through this uh, the contact tracing part of this, uh, and and for it to be able to sort of derail a game this easily. But I guess this is what this is what Bruce Feldman was talking about. It's like every week we're just going to have to wait. And he he mentioned something that I hadn't really thought about, but he said, you know, this year's uh, the whole season is really going to be very very dependent on the mental kind of. Uh, toughness and uh, just mental like stores that people have because every single time they go through these this testing everyone's on pins and needles and we're talking yeah. three times a week you're doing this just to be able to see if you can even play and then when you're done with that then you can focus on practicing and playing again uh, and it's exhausting did did bruce say anything about like the confusing part to me was like i was like when did they get these results well, everyone tests differently. I know that like Louisville okay. tests the day after the game, the day before the game, and on Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so, but I don't know, you know if that's the same kind of for everyone. And I guess the Big Ten's going to do it every day. Well, they said in the release, I thought that it was like somebody who had tested on Monday. So that's what was confusing to me. Hmm. Um, was I was like, well, when did they get the results? But I don't know. It's whatever. I mean, it doesn't, you know, maybe they were trying to figure out a way or maybe they weren't sure who all was going to have to be quarantined. It, that's entirely possible. So I'm not, it just was a weird thing to me that I was like, wait, Monday? Um, y'all need a faster lab. Um, but yeah, it's, and then you think about how absurd it is that like college football programs all have way faster labs than like almost anywhere else in the normal country, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> That's, you know, yeah, that's, that's its own, down the list, but yes, yeah. You're that's right. its own separate conversation, maybe for uh, a different podcast, I guess. Oh, but yeah, so Carolina won't play. Um, it was funny. I saw, and this will get us into, I mean, I'm not, I'm going to talk about Citadel Clemson only in the sense to say that, like, um, I saw, I think, I hope it was a joking suggestion that, like, Carolina schedule Army on the short notice because Army also had a game canceled. Um, and I was like, y'all, no one is scheduling army like on short notice. That's not happening. You're not no. going to schedule a triple option team on short notice. It's just not going to happen. <laughs> well, isn't it funny though? Isn't it funny? And, and I guess I, I would say 
considering what Army's trips to Michigan and Oklahoma, like they are like the new hotness now. Like people love Army now, like Universal. I, lo- I, I, I think you and I disagree on this and that's that's fine. But I have an affinity um, for triple option football just because it's something different you know, than we see on a typical basis. And I enjoy too watching the service academies um, that run it well, find a way to compete in spite of, you know, sort of all the obstacles that they're up against. Um, and so, yeah, I do. I, I, uh, I, I kind of have an affinity for it, but yeah, I mean the, the, and the offenses, like they go on these absurdly long drives for like 20 minutes and keep the ball and score a touchdown. And it's just, it's wonderfully frustrating uh, for the opponent. And yeah, I, I enjoyed Army too for that same reason with what they did in Oklahoma. And yeah, they must be the new hotness because Navy's not very good, sadly. No, no, they're not. It's funny though, because I love it when Army does it. I hate it when Virginia does it. Virginia basketball. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I, loved, I loved Paul Johnson and, and his trolling nature at Georgia Tech. And I miss him. Um, uh, what? Did, oh my God. When they called uh, Jeff's, when they called Jeff Collins DJ Jazzy Jeff and spelled it like G E O F F, like that's his name. But I just, I, I, I had one of those moments that I have so often these days where I kind of stared at the screen blankly for like five seconds. Like what DJ Jazzy Jeff, someone really did that and thought it was a good idea. <laughs> you know, the, the one thing about Jeff Collins, he's, um, he's got like big time Butch Jones energy. It, but as long as you're winning, that is okay. But he, like the, the slogans, the acronyms, you know, all that stuff, like the minute anything goes south there, and I know expectations are super low, so he's as far as, as could be away from this, but like the minute things sort of turn, that stuff gets to be super annoying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, it, he's leaned in to, to the cheese. He has leaned into it. Um, I wonder sometimes like if he thinks he's cool and I picture him all the time, like Steve Buscemi, like, how do you do fellow kids that Jeff, um, <laughs> it's big Jeff Collins energy to me. God bless him though. He's trying, he's trying to get something, some enthusiasm and that's, that's okay. I guess <laughs> um, I'll do, I'll do the, <laughs> I'll do the last night game before I get to uh, get to y'all's game. Uh and this is of local interest and probably not too far beyond that. But I, I, I do have to laugh at the fact that um, state fans who love a good night game, they have a great tailgating culture around Carter Finley Stadium. They have two night games in a row now to start their season after not getting nearly as many as they would have wanted in the last couple of years when they can't mm-hmm. have fans. <laughs> Ooh. You know, when we were talking at the beginning uh, about this being a season where nobody's really on the hot seat, I basically meant Dick Dorn. Like I yeah, just, me too. Okay, good. We're on the same page there. Uh, and I'll quite frankly, I'll be interested to see how they do with him. I guess really not having to worry about that. I, I agree, and I, I, I. This is something we've talked about here locally, and I know that most ACC people are familiar, and we've talked about it on this podcast before with the concept of NC State, uh, NC State shit. Um, I can say that on this podcast, just not anywhere else that I talk about this. And, and like, it's something where there's a chicken or egg argument that happens where like, do the fans and their anticipation of that, does that energy become contagious to the players and thus we get NC state shit? Or is it, 
is it just inherent in what's going on there? Um, and I think that this season will be an intriguing test case for that. Uh, I, listen, I agree with you. And I think the, the funniest thing to watch, like from the outside and as, as Louisville fans, I think have watched the ACC now sort of learned about various uh, fan bases. One of the funniest things to me, uh, and, and I, I enjoy it, uh, is the way it's almost like a, uh, an abused animal in C-State fans in this way. Like they are very suspicious of success, right? Like when, when anything starts to go right, it's like, this is a setup. And it's, it's very funny to me. Uh, but at the same time, still every bit is emotionally invested as, as any other fan base, but very wary of, of like, okay, you, this is just a setup. I know it's about to happen here. And, they, and then resentful when it still goes that way when it happens. That's why they're not cynical. And I, I love that about that. Yes. And, and yeah, and it's more, I feel like it's more within the context of a game than it is like in the course of a season, because I think they will get excited about their team if their team is, is, you know, seems like it's good and, and they'll fight for, to get that team more respect. But in the course of the game itself, it's like, oh God, oh God, how could this go wrong? This is going to go wrong. And Wake Forest is a team that it has traditionally gone very wrong against. And, you know, that's the slogan for this game around here has been like, we're playing Wake Forest at home. What could go wrong? Um, last year when they played Wake, literally everything went wrong. Now, l- being fair, right? Wake is the was the better team. And even though NC State is favored in this game, you could make the case that that's true again. Um, we don't know yet, though, because we haven't seen NC State yet. But you, you could make that case, I think. And and. Um, so it's not like losing to Wake would mean that, you know, they're cursed or something. It's Dave Clawson's built a good program and they have an established quarterback and pretty solid defense getting some guys back this week. And, you know, wouldn't be shameful for them to lose that game, even at home. But yeah, that's just sort of how it started to be looked at is like, you know, it hasn't been as big a disaster as they think, though. Like Wake State has only won once in Winston-Salem since 2001, but Wake's only won once in Raleigh since 2006. So it's not like it's not like it's been that crazy against Wake. It's just been more in Winston-Salem than Raleigh. So they do have that going for them. <laughs> yeah, isn't it? But, you know, I agree with you, by the way, that you're, uh, that they've, like, I'm, I respect what they've been able to accomplish there. Like, if, if people should not sleep on how difficult it is to sort of build a, a consistent winner and, and not put together, like, a, a every couple of years something good, but, like, every year that they've been pretty good. Uh, the last four years. I mean, he's taken them to four straight bowl games. Like, that's not easy to do at Wake Forest. That doesn't happen there. Yeah, that doesn't happen there. I totally agree. Uh, And the minute Louisville slipped, uh, Wake Forest pounced uh, on them. They beat them a couple years in a row. It was a big deal. They were lucky to beat them last year. Uh, It's a good uh, program. What he's done there is what I thought, you know, Babers might be able to do at Syracuse. And he has. Yeah. Yep. That's a, wow, that's a good point. That's a good analogy too. But yeah, so I mean, we'll see. And it's an, it's an interesting full circle game for me. I tend to enjoy those as Devin Leary uh, got his first ever start at Wake last year and it went poorly. Um, And, you know, he had some nice moments towards the end of the year um, in some difficult circumstances for state. They had so many injuries on offense and they really couldn't afford any at all. And they had 
the worst ones and they're healthy heading into this year, relatively so. And um, it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do um, at quarterback because they like him a lot and he's, you know, worked his butt off in the off season and we shall see. Um, it'll be a really good, I think, test for for them and for him and not too absurdly hard, but certainly not easy. And and it'll be interesting to see what he's able to do. So I'm, I'm eager to see how they look for sure. Well, and it's, you know, he actually came on my show, Dave Dorn did, uh, several weeks ago, which I enjoyed. Uh, he was way more, and maybe it's just like, the, hey, the, the pressure's off a little bit because of the nature of the year, but he was way more, like, personable than I was prepared for, quite frankly. I love He's been this. kind of standoffish in the past. Yes. Uh, oh. And yeah, he okay. he talked about. Uh, I asked him. I took no. I, I asked him about the, the. You know, he's got new coordinators, and he's had a lot of coaching uh, turnover, assistant coach turnover, and those guys haven't really been able to do anything together. Uh, and so this is another one of these kind of interesting test cases for sort of right. teams that haven't been able to have the normal run up and the normal prep time, what they look like, and then they lost another game. Uh, you know, the the ability to play another game, not lost the game. You know what I mean? Uh, I'm fascinated to see how this year goes. I I love that you had Dave on and he was good because I have I've long Dave has really grown a lot in in this job and in as a person I think like not to be sound patronizing or anything but it, you know it's funny Wes Durham who's been on this podcast before has always sort of privately um, insisted to me and others that like Dave is not who he seems you know he's very funny he's very personal he's very nice. He just is a little cautious around the media. And I think we're seeing that side of Dave more and more. And he's been really trying like he what you know, pre pandemic, he's been trying. He had like football luncheons with media, with his coordinators so we could talk to them. He came around and shook all of our hands and stuff like that. Like he's really trying. And I, I love I love that about Dave. He's trying really hard to sort of um, show a different side to himself. And, it, and it's tough in this market because it, especially now, because you've got freaking Mac Brown and David Cutcliffe, like <laughs> to, you know, it's hard to ha win a personality contest against those two, but he doesn't have to. And, and he's, you know, he's settling into sort of being able to be himself while also showing a more personable side. And I, I love that. I love that you had a good experience with him because I do think he's, he's, he's not the sort of curmudgeon that he has. Um, to be fair, he earned that, but <laughs> he's not, he's not that guy yeah. necessarily. No, I thought he was going to take on uh, the mantle of like uh, of Bobby Petrino's mantle of being like the guy that's kind of putziest with the media. But yeah. to your point, with Bobby, like that's who Bobby is. With Dave, he's I can see that he maybe it's under there because but he just is wary of the media. Charlie Sean was kind of like that. Like if you were buddies with Charlie, he was actually a pretty funny guy. Uh, but he just was uh, baseline suspicious of the media all the time. And you could just tell by the way he talked to you that he didn't want to be talking to you. And that sucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and Dave's gotten better. It's, it's gotten better. I'm, I'm, I'm proud of him. Proud of you, Dave. You're not listening, but I'm proud of you. Um, if any, if any football program is listening to this or anyone associated with it, it's probably, it's likeliest to be North Carolina who has become the most, by far the most media savvy, partly because of Max time at ESPN and just sort of getting it. Um, he, they talk with us all the time and, you know, he's, he's uh super media savvy now. Um, so yeah, but seriously, love you, Dave. You're, you're doing great, buddy. Um, <laughs> uh, all right. 
now we get to y'all's game, um, which even last week was still the most intriguing game of the first two weeks to me. Um, Miami uh, coming to Louisville. I wasn't sure how Miami was going to look in week one. Um, and I had I, I made plans to have Cam on my first the podcast last week because uh, they were playing on Thursday because I figured either way, it's going to be great. If Miami looks good, Cam can talk it up and, and let us know like, Hey, is this for real? Like Miami has optimism. Tell us, tell us what to expect. And if they're bad, Cam would be very funny. Um, and it uh, turns out they look pretty good and looks like they might have a quarterback. So that should definitely make things interesting. Yeah. And I was impressed with them and I didn't, I'm not a big Rhett Lashley guy. Like I don't, a lot of people love that dude. Oh, interesting. Uh, and I just, I've never, I've never been blown away, but they looked they looked better uh, offensively. And yeah, De'Ara King is really, really impressive, uh, especially as a runner. They didn't hit the big throws in that game, uh, but he kept plays alive and then you know uh, designed runs and that sort of thing. I was impressed. And, and I'm terrified of this game from, from Louisville's perspective just because yeah. last year's game was so stunning. Uh, you know, Miami didn't play any good football in the second half of last year, and they beat the hell out of Louisville. I think it was, it was terrible. Uh, And so to me, this is, uh, I'm wary of this game, even though I think Louisville is a lot better than they were even a year ago. Yeah, I'm worried. And I don't know what the concern is in Louisville, but the defense, um, I don't know where everybody thinks they're going to be at, but this certainly isn't the ideal uh, first opponent based on what we saw in week one. And I actually think I got the sense, and it's just a sense for me that Miami was, trying to go as vanilla as they could to, to not give too much away. Oh, I agree. I agree. And, and I think, you know, the, maybe the one comfort I drew out of that game was that, you know, when they beat Louisville and beat them so badly a year ago, uh, they hit uh, Jaron Williams, sort of an out, out of body experience and hit a bunch of big throws that he didn't really do the rest of the year. Uh, I don't, I didn't see that. From De'Ara King, I didn't see Miami receivers sort of running open and, and that sort of thing. So maybe uh, the threat of that uh, isn't as big as it was a year ago because they took – and I think Louisville's defense is better. 35-21 from a week ago. Keep in mind, Louisville uh, had a punt block. They fumbled a punt. So two of the scoring drives for, for Western Kentucky were one yard and four yards. Uh, so it was a little misleading. I mean, if, if, it was, if you didn't do that, it's 35-7, and maybe you feel a little bit better about that game. And I think Western Kentucky is really good, uh, too, by the way. Yeah. Uh, that- but I, I, I think if, if Louisville doesn't give up big throws and it's a game of drives, that's definitely a game that they can win. I think the problem is that so far since Scott's gotten here, anybody that's decided they really wanted to just muscle up Louisville has been able to do that. And Miami seems like they are capable of that. Uh, and if they stop that, uh, it would be really the first time they've been able to do that. Yeah, it, it'll be it'll, it'll definitely be interesting. But uh, and I, you know, I love what Scott Satterfield has done as a coach just in general he's somebody i thought i said this last week i thought north carolina should have hired him um and i thought mac would not work out obviously i was wrong about at least half of that i think the whether or not north carolina should have hired him from a long-term perspective remains to be seen but um you know i i 
I have a lot of respect for him. And he's one of those, he's one of those coaches that, you know, like a Dave Clawson, it's like, I'll give his teams a little benefit of the doubt, even if I think maybe there's some personnel issues because he's proven to be a good enough coach to overcome some of that. So, and look, Louisville also has a returning quarterback, which is important. Oh, I listen, it, it, when Scott got here, I thought that they would be very physical and sort of run the ball like his App State teams were. I had no idea uh, that they would be a bombs away team, but they are. Uh, and I didn't really know that Mikhail Cunningham had that in him, quite frankly. I thought he was a you know, dual threat guy and, and uh, dump it off and quick throws and things like that. He, he is a legitimate deep threat uh, thrower, and they've got, turns out, two uh, legitimate deep threats and Tutu Atwell and now Braden Smith, who coaches were not lying when they were talking him up. I mean, he had a huge uh, first game. Uh, and I'll give Scott credit for not being like, I know the kind of team he wants and the kind of offense that he would prefer, uh, but not being so stubborn uh, as to ignore the fact that you can totally just go bombs away with what you had. And they did that last year and they did it in the opener. And, uh, and, and they did it to Miami last year too, by the way, they had 496 yards yeah. in a, you know, losing effort to quote our guys at the solid verbal. Uh, they, like they moved the ball against Miami a year ago. Uh, if they can make this a game of drives and offense, uh, I think they can win that game. Well, and, and as Cam pointed out last week too, uh, when you mentioned Tutu Atwell, that's somebody that literally whenever he does anything in any game, you know, Cam's mentions fill up with Miami fans. Uh, we should have got him, you know. Um, but uh, you know, it's interesting his his backstory. I guess he was a quarterback in high school and was pretty highly regarded in South Florida. And and and, uh, but he wanted to play quarterback, and he ended up sort of changing his mind. I guess is that's the way Cam put it anyway. Um, and but still, Miami fans are just like he should be here. He should be a wide receiver for us. And um, that's how that tends to work, right? Whenever somebody from your area gets out and goes somewhere else and has success, it becomes it becomes a big thing. And I, I would be shocked if he doesn't have at least one big play against Miami. Yeah, and, and look, forever, uh, Louisville fans are always going to love whoever the quarterback at Miami Northwestern is after Teddy. Like, that's our guy. So, the Tutu Atwell, it, was, it just seemed natural uh, for him. For him to come here, yeah, I know you guys are getting your uh, your experiences of Teddy there. How's how's the fan? I know everyone loved Cam, so how's the fan reception of our son Teddy there? I mean, I think it's fine. I think people like Teddy a lot. It's impossible not to. Um, I feel badly for Teddy on a number of fronts, um, partially because this isn't his fault, and I think he has gotten some vitriol. Um, that he, obviously he didn't deserve. He didn't make this decision. So <laughs> he had nothing to do with it. Um, and in some ways though, I'm, gl- I'm glad it's him um, because I I'll, uh, certainly watching anyone, the Panthers already already had on their roster would have filled me with rage on a weekly basis. Um, and I like Teddy very much. I always have, um, but I will be honest with you. Last week was very difficult for me. I felt badly because I know at least one Louisville fan um, followed me on my sad Panthers fan account, which is where I tweet Panthers games. Um, and I think she was probably hoping for me to be. Um, it was uh, uh, Rachel, our Snickle Fritz on Twitter. I love Rachel. Shout out if you're oh, listening. Yeah. Um, and mm-hmm. I felt ba- I, I, I felt badly because I was like, she's not going to be. I'm sure she won't be thrilled with the fact that I keep talking about how much I miss Cam. But I did. I did. 
Um, and it was, it's not Teddy's fault. Like it's not, it's, I'm glad that it, like I said, I'm glad that it's him. Um, it's just, it's surreal watching this team without cam and, uh, it's, it's, I'll get used to it. I'll be okay. Um, <laughs> I, you know, um, people like Teddy though. It's hard. It's hard not to like Teddy. Um, he's, he's personable and funny and, and he's been through so much and, um, it's, it's a good thing that it's him. Uh, it, it really is. And it's just hard. You look around and it's a team you've rooted for your whole life. And you're like, where is everybody? Um, not my whole life to be fair. They have, they have not been around my whole life, but, <laughs> uh, that was me growing up a Dolphins fan actually. Um, when I looked around like mid two thousands and was like, who is this team? And that was when I really sort of full-time transitioned to all Panthers because I was just like, I don't know who this team is anymore. And I really kind of fell in love with the Panthers around the same time. So, um, I'm not switching my fandom to the Patriots people. So stay out of my mentions because unless a lot of the Patriots fan base (laughs) ceases to exist in their fan base, I can't do that. I'm so sorry. You know, I think Teddy is uh, Teddy's perfect for that role of like following the the really popular, larger than life personality guy because he's so self-effacing and, and all that sort of thing. But just because he's perfect for it doesn't mean it'll be easy or that I don't think anybody would be popular. You know what I mean? Like what you're describing about sort of missing Cam and all is would be true of, of virtually anybody that would be the yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's just, yeah, but I, I'll, I'll get used to it because again, I've always been a huge Teddy fan and it was always really hard for me when he was on the saints because I hate the saints with a white hot passion. Um, so it was very hard for me to watch any success he had on the saints because I, it was as conflicted as I've ever been. Um, but thankfully I don't have that conflict anymore. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I guess, although, hey, before I get you out, I guess my my Panthers and your Bucks play this weekend. So that should be fun because I literally don't care about the outcome of that football game. My husband's a Bucks fan as well. So um, I'm looking forward to finally being able to troll him um, as opposed to vice versa, where he was usually very um, good at provoking reactions out of me during those games when I cared more about the outcome of them. And now it's like, Hey, if we lose, we're in good draft position. And if we win, it will be very funny. Yeah. Well, I'm in the, just the opposite. I am. Uh, it's, it's basically you have a 43 year old uh, quarterback. It kind of need to win like right now. <laughs> I know. Uh, so last week was miserable. And I, I just uh, should have said, I share with you uh, a white hot hatred of the saints. They have destroyed the Buccaneers for most, most of my life. Yeah, I just don't like anything about them whatsoever. Um, I did laugh, though, that even even Tom Brady can't get calls in New Orleans. So get used to it, Tommy. (laughs) (sighs) All right, Mark, well, I'll get you out of here. But thanks so much for doing this. And uh, Saturday should be well, it should be a day of football. Anytime, anytime. It's good to talk to you, Mark. All right. Until next week, everybody.